Good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and to respond in worship uh, to the one that has created us and the one that's redeemed us in Christ. And so as we gather, um, I want to ask you to turn to your order of worship. If you need one, they're in the back table there. Uh, but if you see on the inside cover, there is information about children and youth uh, classes that are going on today. You can see there what's being offered um, and then one note about that, there is youth group after church over at the community space on Rockwell. So uh, right after the service, students can head over there. And then if you go all the way to the back of the order, the last couple pages, you'll see announcements uh, for the life of the church. And I uh, encourage you to take a look at that. There's different Bible studies going on and, and ways to serve. Uh, but one thing to highlight is that we have uh, a, a lunch coming up on November 6th called Intro to LSPC. And it's a chance, uh, whether you just started coming, or you've been coming for a while, uh, it's a chance to, to learn more about the church and the community, uh, about what we believe and our values and about kind of what it means to be part of the community. And it's also just a great chance to have some food and, and meet others uh, in the church. So that's on the 6th of November uh, after the church service. Again, it's over on, we have an office and community space on, the Rock, on Rockwell, right by the Rockwell stop. And uh, that will be over there. Uh, so if you're interested or have questions, let me know. It'd be great to have you join us. But God's called us and gathered us, uh, calling us out of our normal routines and normal days to come and gather as his people. And as we get ready to respond and worship, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Call to worship today is from Psalm 63. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together? my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. My soul clings to you. satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Thank you. 
Let's join together uh, in prayer. 
Lord, as we gather, we remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 63, and we, we speak them as well as your people, that our soul thirsts for you, our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Your steadfast love is better than life, and our lips will praise you. Lord, we come as people who know what it is to be thirsty, to long for drink that will satisfy, food that will satisfy. And we thank you for your call upon our life that you have called into our hearts and souls, into our schedules to gather us, not just here in this place, but to gather us to Christ. We thank you for your call of the gospel that goes forth proclaiming that you and your great love, why we were still in sin, Christ died for us, that we might no longer be alone or separated, but might be called children of God. Lord, let us hear that call again today. Let it speak to the shame that we feel. Let it speak to our guilt. Let it speak to the hunger and thirst that we feel deep within. And we pray that that call, call the gospel, the call that you give, would lift our heads that we'd stand not in ourselves or in what we have done or will do, but we lift our heads in the grace that you give us in Christ. So, Lord, meet us this day wherever we are. Minister to us by your spirit and move us, Lord, to rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this time, uh, children are dismissed for children's worship. They can make their way here to the uh, back of the gym. Melinda's there to, to meet them, and they'll go to their class. As you'll see in your note, the... Children's worship will go the, the full length of the service today. We're going to continue uh, with worship through a time of confession and assurance. This is an opportunity for us to acknowledge and remember that, that we are different than God, that God is holy, that God is just and good. Yet in God's grace, he invites us to come with honesty to confess our sin. With the assurance that God's grace in Christ is greater than our sin. So let's, we'll do this together through our corporate confession and song. And then we'll have a time of silence to bring our own needs and confessions to God. Let's join together. Almighty God, you watch over us with loving kindness, promising that in Christ you will faithfully bring forth justice. Never breaking a bruised reed and never snuffing out a faintly burning wick. Gracious and gentle Father, we are often weary of our schedules, of our loneliness, and of the heaviness that we carry with us. By your power and by your meekness, grant us rest and peace. Show us your steadfast, tender love that we may know joy and gladness. Renew our faith this day.
we've sung these promises of Christ, let's take time of silent personal confession. We can bring our own confessions and needs to God. Thank you that you hear us when we pray, and we thank you for the promise in Christ that your grace is sufficient, that your grace is greater than our sin. Lord, let us stand in you this day. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together that we can hear and speak these words of assurance together. This is from Romans 8, verse 34. Let's join together. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. This is God's good word for us. Amen. And as Christ has welcomed us, let's turn to each other and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
Old Testament lesson for this morning is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights besides, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. The, New Test the gospel lesson is from the gospel of John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. It's good to be here and worship with you this morning. Thank you, Ozzy, for reading from the scriptures. We're going to continue our sermon series on the book of Romans that you'll notice a note in your order. Um, but before reading our passage from 
uh, Romans 5. I'm just going to maybe mention that we could start by thinking of uh, an image or, you know, something you've seen every day probably here in the city, but of a, a new house, a new building being constructed. Maybe that's happening on your street or maybe you drive by that on a regular basis. But a lot happens. A lot happens in a construction project. I don't really know anything about this. I'm just saying this is my observation. <laughs> a lot happens before the building appears, right? There is the digging in the ground. There's the removing of old concrete or other obstacles. There's setting up drainage. There's pouring a new foundation. And if we can picture that, that kind of groundwork that happens, uh, that helps us think about what we've already read in the book of Romans. So in many ways, the, the first four chapters is Paul doing this foundational work. In the introduction, Paul says that the main subject of this letter is not him. It's not the church in Rome. Rather, it's what he calls the gospel of God. And then he proclaims that he's not ashamed of it because it's the power of salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then he goes on in chapters 1 and 3 to explain why all of us, all of you and me, all of our neighbors, why we need this gospel. That we all, Jew and Gentile, wise and fool, are under sin and we can't get out on our own. We've exchanged the truth of God for lies and for worshiping idols. And he summarizes it by saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, in his great love, has acted for us. And that we are justified by his grace as a gift through faith in Jesus. And then last Sunday... He continued this foundational work by explaining, by looking at Abraham and Sarah, saying this idea of salvation by faith, by God's grace, is not a new concept. Rather, this is how it's always been. Abraham, the father of us all, he was not declared right before God or fully accepted by God, by works of the law. Rather, it was because he had faith in God's promise. And this is the way it is for all of us. So chapters four, one through four are laying this foundation, doing this foundational work of the digging and the removing old things, laying down the new foundation. And that brings us to our passage today. For in chapter five, in many ways, what Paul is doing is now building the structure, or we should say it more accurately, that he's pointing to the structure that God has built in Christ. It's a place, this new structure, a place where individuals and a community can live in union with Christ. As we've been going through the letter to the Romans, we've been asking these kind of questions. Does God leave us in our sin and misery? Are we on our own, just with our resources, our questions, our own troubles, to make it through this life of difficulties. And what we've heard over and over again is the gospel proclaims the answer of no. That God does not leave you and me, does not leave us simply with our resources to find our way. Rather, we see here in our passage that he has constructed a shelter, a refuge, a place that we can dwell with him. 
And this building that's being constructed is a refuge because it will endure. Because it's not built on what we contribute, but on the steadfast love of God and the gift of redemption in Christ. So let's thinking that image of the foundation and this building coming into existence. Let's look at our passage now and hear more about what this shelter, what this refuge looks like. In your order, there's Romans 5, 1 through 11. You can follow it there, or you can follow along in your Bible. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Well, I ask you to picture this idea of a foundation and a a structure being put together, and kind of ask this broader question as we look at our passage, what is this structure that God has created in Christ? And we get an idea of it by seeing the, the opening affirmations of our passage. There are four affirmations that all begin with we. And these affirmations, these realities are built upon what God has done, the foundation. Since we have been declared to be in the right, since we've been justified by faith, since we've been fully accepted that we have a new standing with God, then comes the affirmations. We can affirm together that we have peace with God, that we've gained access into grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and we also rejoice even in the midst of our sufferings. And so as we look at our passage and think about what God has done for us in Christ, I want us to to look at these four affirmations. The first two tell us that this place, this structure is a place of peace. And the second set of two affirmations tell us it's a place of hope. So let's start with these first two affirmations that tell us that this place in Christ is one of peace or that we have experienced reconciliation. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. And where we can begin is to see that this affirmation is is not an exhortation. It's not a command to you and me. It's not a command. Right now, you have peace with God. You better go do it. 
Rather, it is a declaration. It is a pronouncement. We were enemies, but we have now been reconciled to God. Through our Lord Jesus, we have now received reconciliation. This peace has been given to us. It's been accomplished. You see, through Jesus, we're, we're being told that God pursued us, sought us, even while we were sinners and enemies of God's ways, and that God in Christ gave himself to us in friendship to establish a reconciliation. And what is interesting or what is worth us thinking about this affirmation is that this reconciling peace is the, is the central promise, the deep longing of the prophets of old, shalom, that there would be reconciliation between humans and God, and that this reconciliation that God establishes will bring both reconciliation with others and other relationships and a broader flourishing rooted in a peace with God, that we are settled with God. This is what the prophets longed for, to see not just in individual hearts, but to flow out into other relationships, into communities. You see, this affirmation reminds us that we are made, all of us, for relationships. Relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, with creation. But all of these relationships have been disrupted by human unrighteousness and injustice. The failure to love God above all things and the failure to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is a structure. What God has done in Christ is build a place of peace that starting with God, this reconciliation can go forth into other spheres of relationship. We get the sense of this kind of spreading reconciliation with the pronoun we. We is repeated throughout our passage over and over again. We, Paul including himself, we are brought into God's family, the community of Jesus, and we all now have renewed connections and obligations to one another. If you see that image that's being, we're brought together in Christ and now we have new connections and obligations to one another. We are people connected together through our connection with God. And that leads us to this second affirmation that builds on this community of reconciliation, saying that we, we have gained access into grace in which we stand. We have gained access into grace in which we stand. And what this affirmation is telling us is that no one comes into this family no one comes into this building that's being constructed in Christ on their own or by their own standing. Someone must bring you in. Maybe we can imagine for a moment going to a new school or going to some kind of gathering, whether it's for work or just a social gathering, entering alone, Maybe you've wondered, like I have in such scenes, moments, will I be received? 
how will this go? And the image here is that we have someone to bring us in. We have someone to introduce us, someone to welcome us. In Jesus, we have an introduction. In Jesus, we stand not in ourselves, but in grace. In Jesus, now we belong to the covenant family, the people of promise, those whose sins are forgiven and who have been fully accepted by God through his gift. See, all who enter, all who experience this peace and reconciliation stand together in Christ. And I'm sure you might, some of you might be thinking, yes, I, I know that. These are things that I've heard before. But I want us to dwell just for a moment and think about the profound nature of what that's saying. If, if it's true that we are not coming in on our own, but we are brought in by Jesus, then what counts before God is not what we pride ourselves on. What counts before God is not on what we doubt ourselves on. What counts before God in this structure is that we are loved in Christ. That's what counts. That you and me are loved in Christ. That we stand in him. That he brought us in. You can think for a moment about Paul, the author of this book. He was persecuting Christians. He was dragging people into jail. Then he encountered the risen Christ. And this experience subverted everything he thought. Christ's grace reached him despite his being completely wrong. Christ's grace reached him even though he was completely wrong. And in wonder upon wonder, he sees this same grace as he goes out in mission to the Gentiles. As Paul starts talking about the risen Christ welcoming sinners, he finds that the Gentiles, the ones with the wrong ancestry, the ones who have the wrong ideas about God and the wrong practices, the ones who by some standards, even including Paul's, had no worth, that God gives them his grace, pouring out his spirit upon them that Christ brings them into the family, into this structure and shelter. Our peace and reconciliation is not based on what we take for granted as having worth. Our place in a certain hierarchy our class, our wealth, our education, our jobs, you name it. Whatever is at the core in which we wound everything else around. The gospel has its own value system and it's rooted in Christ and the unmerited gift in which he brings us in on his grace. And if this is true, then it changes everything about how we see God, ourselves, and one another. No longer through the filter of these lenses of worth, but through the reconciling grace and peace of Christ. So what is this spiritual house that's being built? What is this structure? 
Well, first, it's a place of peace rooted in the grace of Christ. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that it is a place of hope. We looked at the first two we affirmations, and we'll look at the second two to see that this is a place marked by hope. The second two affirmations, they say we celebrate or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Let's start with the first one. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, the glory of God here speaks of God's majesty, God's kind of weightiness. And this glory has been revealed in creation. A, a beautiful day like this as you walk, we're struck by the wonder of what has been put forth for us. It's also been revealed in God's promise to the people of Israel, his covenant steadfast love. His glory has been revealed fully, though, in the person of Jesus. But when we talk about the hope of the glory of God, what we're being invited to affirm is that we are waiting. We are waiting for the, this glory to be fully made known, fully present in the new heavens and the new earth. When there is no more sin or death or evil. We wait for it to be fully revealed when all creation, which is now in bondage, experiences glorious freedom. And we wait for the glory of God to be fully revealed when Jesus in his resurrected nature brings forth our resurrected bodies. That we are fully renewed as those who are in Christ, fully restored to the image of God. As scripture tells us that every tear will be wiped from our eyes and that will, in the blinking of an eye that will be changed, transformed in the newness of our bodies. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And what that means ultimately is that we rejoice. We rejoice in the sure promise that our sin, our suffering and tears our losses, our mistreatment by others, our death will not be the final word. These will not be the final word in our lives and in creation, but God's word will endure and last. A word of life and renewal, forgiveness and salvation. It's in this sense that this structure that God is building in Christ, it speaks to our past, it speaks to our present, and it speaks to our future. To our past, Christ proclaims that we are forgiven, that you and I do not belong to those things that would hold us. To our present, Christ proclaims that we do not stand on our own or our own performance, but we stand in him. And to our future, to this hope that we wait for, that our, to our future, Christ, the eternal word, the one who died and has risen again, victorious over the grave, proclaims that we're united to him by faith now and forever. That nothing can change that standing.
as I was looking at this passage, it's one that we've looked at before, actually not that long ago as a church, but I was struck again by these kind of we affirmations and even the possibility as a spiritual discipline for us to join in saying them, to think about how it's a chance to be reminded of what God has done because we are justified by faith, because we have been fully accepted by God in Christ, we can actually join in and our prayers are together. We can remember that we have peace with God, that we stand in grace, that we have hope of the glory of God and that we have hope even in the midst of our suffering, that these are things that we can hold on to. And it's helpful to have things to hold on to, helpful to join this we, because as our passage tells us, life is marked by suffering. The final affirmation is we also rejoice in our sufferings. As we think about this, it's possible to make maybe two mistakes, two errors. One is that we think it's saying that somehow suffering is good or that we should want to suffer. It's not, it's not telling us that. Another error could be something that I, I read recently, an article that had a term, toxic positivity. <laughs> Maybe you've heard that. Toxic positivity. If you haven't heard that term, I'm sure we've all experienced it in some way. But a, a positive nature is such that you're not really allowed to say that things are difficult. A positivity that doesn't give space for honesty or to acknowledge hurt. Hope doesn't mean ignoring or denying our troubles. It's not an invitation to be dishonest. When I was thinking of this, I thought of a, a movie that was made long ago in 1975. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Maybe some of you have seen this. It's an absurd movie, <laughs> a comedy film. And one of the scenes of this movie, this, this, the whole movie is a satire in King Arthur, but one of the scenes, King Arthur's going down the path and encounters the Black Knight. And the Black Knight will not step aside and let King Arthur pass, and so they engage in a sword duel and conflict. And King Arthur, you know, makes quick work of this Black Knight, and it's in a kind of absurd and silly way that King Arthur eventually cuts off Black Knight's both arms and both of his legs. But each time this happens, the Black Knight announces, that's nothing. Tis a mere scratch, just a flesh wound, <laughs> a mere flesh wound. It's a silly and funny movie, but it's a picture maybe of one of the ways that we can think of Christianity, that I'm not supposed to acknowledge that things actually hurt or are difficult or are overwhelming. Hope is not a positivity that denies or gives no space for honesty. Hope, rather, in the midst of our suffering, remembers that there's something more than myself and my resources, more than those things around me. That there is a God who has made me and redeemed me in Christ and promises that I'm united to Christ in a way that that cannot be separated. We're told endurance speaks of endurance, of waiting. 
to persevere, to endure, right? It applies to situations that we can't change. If we had power to make it different, we wouldn't need to persevere or to endure or to wait. If we can't make things as we desire, if we simply can make them the way we want, then there is no suffering, no waiting. But faith is fundamentally connected to our limits. And we can't really talk about faith without also talking about our lack of control, our lack of power. That we can't make ourselves the way we want ourselves to be. We can't fully protect others or guide them. We can't fully you know, rid our community of injustice or evil. We can't defeat death. Suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance or endurance or waiting produces character. And character is the quality of the person who has been tested. And this character produces hope, a hope that does not disappoint. This affirmation, this structure of hope, what's, what's it inviting us to? It's, it's saying that our suffering, facing and knowing our limits, ultimately leads us out of ourselves. That by God's grace, it hopefully leads us beyond ourselves and beyond our resources to the steadfast love of God. For it's in such places, in such limits that God meets us. And as we close, I want us to see that this affirmation is true because there's a fundamental link between hope and love. A fundamental link between hope and love. Our passage makes that clear. The reason to have hope is because of the love of God. In our limits, in our need, God's love is poured into our hearts. Why we were weak, why we were powerless, Christ died for us. Why we were still sinners, why we were unrighteous and ungodly, broken and not the people we would want to be. Still in our own standing, trying to get out on our own some way. Christ died for us. And this death of Christ on behalf of the weak and helpless sinner demonstrates God's love for you. This love is not just for right now, but it is the love that will endure. For our passage concludes that if Christ died for you while you were still in sin, if Christ died for you while you were powerless and forgetful towards God, if Christ died for you while you were chasing idols and exchanging the truth for a lie, then how much more, now that we've been reconciled, will Christ carry on and hold us to the end? This is our hope, that God poured his love into our hearts, and that love, through that love, we cannot be separated from God. Nothing in the present or future, not in this life or even in death. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and thank you that you are a God that's gracious to us. We pray that you would meet us in these places of limits in our sorrows, not telling us that we need to put on some kind of face or act but meeting us with your love, a love that will endure. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Almighty God, you have not given us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of perseverance and of love. We praise you for your never-ending faithfulness as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And as we gather, we, we see a, a picture of the connection of the reconciliation that we saw in our passage, this idea of, that we gather together around this table that God sets for his people, that our connection to one another flows through the peace and reconciliation that God has given to us. In Christ because we gather here connected but at the center is the broken body and the shed blood of Christ at the center is this promise that God is the one who justifies the ungodly that God is the one who fully accepts declares right those who are sinners and this is the case not because of what we bring but because of the gift of Christ. This is the good news, and if you are a follower of Christ and know of your need before God, have, have put your faith in Christ, then come and eat and drink. Be nourished and reminded of your standing in God's grace. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be a witness to you, a sign of who God is and what God has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table a table that speaks to our hearts individually, but also unites us as a people. We thank you that the basis of this table and the basis of our, our union is not those things that we deem worthy or our society tells us makes us worthy, but the center of this table around which everything is wound is your love for us in Christ. So meet us now, Lord. As we discern our bodies, let us, as we feel guilt or shame or worry, Lord, meet us by your grace and nourish us by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are serving can come forward. And I invite everyone to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. I asked if you were able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink together as God's people. If you're not taking communion today, I still invite you to, we're glad that you're here and we invite you to come forward.
Just put your arm across your chest and we'll offer a prayer of blessing, God's peace for you here at the table. Let's now come to the table that God sets for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people together. Lord, you proclaim from the throne, behold, I am making all things new. These words are trustworthy and true. Let us rejoice in this hope as we proclaim the mystery of faith. together in confessing our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue our worship through the giving of gifts to the work of the church. This is a chance for us to respond to God's generosity. So those who are greeting and passing the offering plates can come forward. Just a note, there's a, a gray basket that you can put your communion cup in, and then the silver plates are for offering. You can, if you'd like to give, you can also see a note that you can give through the church's website or by text as well. Uh, Why while, <clears throat> while those things are being passed, I just want to take a moment to say if you are visiting us today, we're really glad that you've joined us. Um, it's really good to have you here to worship with us. A couple things. Uh, for everyone, there is uh, coffee and bagel, <clears throat> bagels after the service right out these back doors. Can enjoy the the sun and the, the grounds of the school and hopefully have a chance to get to know each other better so stay after and then also if you're visiting uh we'd love for you to <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> share your information with us if you want to share your email or ways that i can follow up with you uh, there's an information pad on the back table you can fill out that or in your order of worship there's a qr code in the back that you can scan and, and fill it out online as well so I invite you to to do that uh, the last thing to just to remind that there is youth group today. Um, so all the junior high and high school students are invited to go over to the community space on Rockwell uh, following the service. Let's continue giving, uh, worshiping through the giving of our gifts to God.
you please stand and join us for the doxology? God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you abound in hope.
Amen. You may go in peace.